At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Well, welcome to Friday and another installment of Fast Money. Here's what's on the show tonight. We're going to take a look first at the breaking news in shares of Nikola. We're watching those uh, shares down by about 15% in the aftermarket session. We're getting news here that Nikola has... Uh, selling shares into the open market. Let's get straight uh, to the story here. And Karen Feinerman, we had noted that for Nikola, at least, they had registered an S1 back in the middle of June, which would have paved the way for insiders to start selling. And, and this is what we're seeing take place in the after-hour session. Right. I mean, it's not surprising, right, given what the stock has done, that uh, insiders would want to uh, monetize some of these extraordinary gains. I can't quite tell how much is insiders. I think any stock associated with the warrants would seem to me to be insider selling, um, which is fine. It's just, um, you know, I don't know what prices is going to get done exactly, but still, it's just enormous from where it was. I mean, it, it hit actually hit 80, then went down to 40. I mean, it's just been a crazy ride. So I don't blame them for wanting to take money off the table, but I still wouldn't, I wouldn't be a buyer on that offering. Uh, in, it allows insiders uh, the sale of up to, up to 53.4 million shares. Um, so we knew that this was happening. And in fact, you know, some analysts said this is sort of a ticking time bomb hanging over investors. And yet we are seeing an outsized impact here on the shares, Tim, on a day when NEO gets uh, rated a sell over at yeah. Goldman Sachs because of the run. I and mean, we've seen yeah. an enormous run in the entire space here. Yeah. So some of these high momentum stocks, uh, obviously, you know, within even the auto, EV, hydrogen, fuel, you know, the, the entire space has been a, a place where momentum traders have been chasing momentum and they'll, they'll also be chasing on the way out. But uh, we, we've said, look, we've said for weeks uh, these valuations are difficult to justify. We've uh, you know, we've we've had a lot of dialogue with the CEO on on the show. Uh, and I think trying to understand how much of this is promise, how much of this is reality. Uh, look, the company certainly has uh, capex needs, but this is a case where people are really taking some chips off the table, uh, and it's not necessarily uh, a case of, of 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 a primary, but it's actually a case where people are going for liquidity. It, it does make some sense, um, but it's it's disturbing, especially in the context of of a lot of promises that have been made. It's down six, uh, seventeen and a half percent, Steve Grosso. Some people might be taking a look at this and thinking, you know, this is my opportunity to get in. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this all hinges on that growth value play that we talked about. Yesterday, there was a headline that Deutsche Bank put a $54 price target on the stock. So I think this is just, as we all know, very, very early in the story for the stock. I don't know what to do with it here, nor do any of us. I, no one could say for sure. But it does seem that if growth comes back, this stock will probably rocket higher. But it's way in the infancy. We're not really looking at any trucks. We're not really looking at any factories. This is way in the early innings. This is a crapshoot. 
Well, that was actually, you know, you know, for the bulls out there, no factories is actually a good thing, finding a partner to manufacture as opposed to taking on that cost by Tesla guy. But, you know, I think in an initiation note by RBC, they said this looks more like a business plan and not a business, to Grasso's point, of a company being in its infancy and yet being rewarded with such a high multiple. Yeah, because I think people hearken back to when Tesla went public and they're like, maybe I got a shot at the next one, which may or may not be true. And listen, we've had Trevor Milton on, I think, three times now, if I'm not mistaken, at least twice. Yep. Uh, and I'm sure you know, he, can, you know, he can amplify or explain what's going on. But I'll say this. If this was Apple that did something like this, and something like this meaning you know, announces a secondary on a Friday in July after the market's closed, I'd say, you know what, that's not very cool. And that's exactly the term I'm using. It's not very cool. might be fine. It might be a huge buying opportunity. But there are people out there that are probably long the stock to look at this and say, you know what, I feel like I just got rooked. And, and that's the reality of the situation. And that's why people get so infuriated when they see certain things like this. Again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying the timing of it stinks, in my opinion. Karen, should investors think there's something nefarious going on because this comes on a Friday after the markets close? Or did we sort of know about it because the registration was filed and so it was a possibility at that point on? Right. I think I think to be given the benefit of the doubt. I mean, right. The registration was filed. I think the um, I think the stock had traded well above the price that the rights could be exercised for uh, enough time. So if you were familiar at all with the SPAC, this particular uh, instrument and the warrants, then you should have expected. But I agree with Guy. The Friday night thing, not cool. It's the least good day to do it. Yeah. Agree there. All right, let's move on and talk about the markets. The transports truck and hire this week. IYT Transports ETF rallying more than 6%, far outperforming the broader markets. And, of course, this goes to what Steve Grosso was talking about in terms of value outperforming growth this week. What does this say about the future of the economy, Guy? Because I know that at heart you are a Dow theorist. You believe in that theory that the transports are a <laughs> uh, leading indicator of uh, economic activity. So this should be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I am a doubt theorist. I actually was one of the early uh, writers of the doubt theory back in the, the, the early part <laughs> of the prior century. So I'm very <laughs> familiar with what, exactly what it says. You know, I don't think, I think most people would, would admit that doubt theory today means something different uh, than it did 50 or so years ago. I don't think it's nearly as important to the economy. And this is not me trying to um, sidestep. I just think it's a much different economy now in terms of the meaningfulness of the transports. With that said, yes, good for Tim, Karen, and Steve. They've been on this, especially Tim with Federal Express. And, you know, it's had a tremendous move. I will say this. The IYT here at 176, I think is where we closed, is smack up against the levels we saw when the S&P topped out in early June, uh, right around that level. So now it's proven itself. Now it has to prove itself uh, to get through this level of resistance. So, FedEx absolutely has broken out out of a two-and-a-half-year downtrend. That's a good sign. The IYT needs to close above 176 or so, in my opinion, to verify that. Tim? Well, so think about uh, mid-May is really when we started to see the, the, the change in the transports and the change in behavior and the outperformance against the S&P. So, in fact, the entire transport sector has outperformed the S&P by 14 percent in the last 43 days. This, this isn't a move that happened overnight. And, and so, but we certainly in the last three weeks talked about the disparity between growth and value. So if you look at something, first of all, the S&P outperformed uh, 
Amazon by by almost eight percent in in this last week that we've just gone through. So um, we've seen a lot of of these stories. But you, know, you had KSU out there reported some numbers, reaffirmed numbers they had effectively given you. Remember, a lot of the story with FedEx was also a lower cost base and and starting to see some 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 momentum in their ground business and some. Uh, you know, more call, call it operational uh, efficiency in the overall business model. But if you look at that chart also, and, uh, you know, Carter may or may not have a view on, 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 on FedEx specifically, but, but that, that's, you know, that, that pop from the earnings that it held, it's essentially a flagpole formation. It's a stock that uh, spent two years underperforming the market. And I am a Dow theorist, at least in terms of if you follow FedEx and you follow exactly what it did, it massively underperformed the market from Jan 2018 through to those lows, uh, well ahead of the market and, and much in the way that transports will also outperform when there's some sense that some of the leading indicators have bottomed. I don't know where we are with COVID-19 and, and the real economy, mm -hmm. but I will tell you that uh, FedEx is following a script that I think it should be following right now. Yeah, Jay Behan, by the way, on earnings, better than expected earnings, new record high in today's session. Karen, um, are you in FedEx? I am. I am in FedEx. Yeah, um, for a little, I just got too cheap. So I agree with Tim um, on, on FedEx. The one thing that, you know, Guy had mentioned the Dow theory, you know, it's a leading indicator. And I'm wondering if some of this strength was when the COVID situation was looking a little better, maybe mm. three, three or four weeks ago. And if we might see another little bit of a slowdown as, as things have sort of reclosed. Um, so I don't know what to do with FedEx. I still think it's, it's cheap, certainly relative to itself. It's got a long road, a lot, a lot of uh, ground still to make up. So I'm not selling any here, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did see a little bit of a pullback in the IYT. And some of those earnings today, the railroads were up going into them. Right. And still, were, uh, still they performed well, so even over the bar. All right, let's switch gears here. Uh, we're watching AstraZeneca set to release on Monday some early stage trial data for its coronavirus vaccine. Shares of the company have climbed nearly 14%. This week, ahead of those results, um, Britain's ITV reported this week that the results could be positive here. And uh, Steve Grasso, a lot of this rotation that we saw this week was built on the back of uh, vaccine data, positive vaccine data from various companies. So could we see this rotation yeah. continue going to next week, assuming that the AZN Oxford study also has good news? Yeah, I think we're going to be looking at this all the way into year end. Uh, Goldman Sachs has, has pointed out that there's probably four vaccines that are in the uh, in, in the later stages uh, being ready for use. So we're going to hear about these uh, topics and headlines for probably uh, the next couple of months every on an everyday basis. I still think IBB best way to play it up 17 percent year to date. Amgen, Vertex, Gilead, Regeneron. Those those are the ways that you're going to kind of mute your uh, risk. But when you look at stocks like uh, Moderna that, that was up big today and that have rallied tremendously, you're never going to get those gains unless you're in the right one. I just doubt that uh, anyone really has an inside track on, on, on all of these to know which one to pick. So I think for the average person, the IBB is probably the best way to go. It's interesting that Moderna's shares uh, popped again today, uh, up 16 percent in anticipation, perhaps, of uh, AZN uh, validating some of their results. But, you know, there was a note that crossed 
my inbox today from Baird about the release on Monday, and, and it basically said if it shows that there was um, that there was antibodies produced, that there was a T cell response, and that it had pretty clean uh, safety and side effects, then this could actually be very bad news for the smaller and mid-cap biotech stocks that are in vaccines, because it could show that big-cap pharma is actually the place to be, because they've got a handle on it with much bigger trials uh, and potentially a better ability to manufacture, Guy. In terms of AZN, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about big cap pharma now for the longest of times, even when they had the, the sort of the crosshair of, of both parties on their back. I mean, they've really done well. Eli Lilly's been a monster. Uh, I mean, and we've talked about IBB to Steve's point. I think, I think it made a new all-time high again today, and that continues to grind higher. So, you know, I, I can't speak about Moderna, the move today. I, I still think that's one that if you've enjoyed the move higher, off that 50 handle, you're taking profits in the name. Again, not to cast any aspersions there. I think you're really playing in the deep end of the pool. But with IBB, again, to Steve's point, at least you mitigate some of the risk in a space that I still think has tremendous upside. All right. Of course, the other big sector mover this week, technology falling from all-time highs, a sector underperforming the broader market, as we had mentioned. Amazon putting in its worst week since February. So what is next for this sector? Carter Worth is here to lay out the charts for us. Carter, what are you watching? Sure, there's a couple of things, but just I think it's worth noting we are sort of in the history books, if we will. We've gone 91 sessions without having three consecutive down days. Now, if you look back at the history of the entire sector, all sectors date back to 1989 when they changed the nomenclature. This has only happened one other time. Right? It happened in the July to December period of 2004. We went as many as 108 sessions without having three days in a row down. So we're at 91. Uh, this would be the second longest ever. And it's worth pointing out that in 04, after that happened, uh, the sector dropped about 15% in a period where the market dropped seven, so twice the rate of the market. Let's look at a few charts, one of three. The first is what we know, how orderly this has been. This is essentially looking at the tech sector since the low. And you can see here, as I've annotated, We've had six distinct drawdowns, right? I mean, they're very clear there on your chart. And you can see that the duration, typically three, two days, three, two, one, four, all a very short term. And the drawdowns are between eight and 5%, almost universally. So down eight, down six, down six, down seven, down five. So you have these dips. And this is the part that's in the history book. We just, they hold and they stick and they don't uh, follow through. So the question is this, second chart. We are now right on the trend line uh, that's been in effect since the low of March. Uh, will this be like 04, where we actually eke out a bit more, or are we already on borrowed time? And the message from Amazon and the weakness in Adobe and some of these others is that this has uh, reached its uh, sort of end run. The final uh, chart is a two-panel chart. And just to put this in perspective, regardless of how good this is, and it's been darn good, what we do know is this, that the tech sector has still not recovered its losses to the S&P since its peak. So you're looking at now a two-panel chart. That is the entire tech sector on top. And on the bottom is the tech sector's relative performance to the S&P 500. And you can see that, uh, that on a relative basis, meaning the, the gains are still not as much as the gains of the S&P dating back to March of 2000. Does this, mean, does this mean the entire index falters, Carter, or does this mean a change in leadership? 
Well, remember, I mean, that is that has been the hoped for thing. There's always trades and cyclical things, uh, but there is no enduring play in a value name. A value name imputed in the, in the process, right, is that one sees an opportunity, a mispricing. Whereas growth, something that's winning uh, over time is where your money wants to be. You don't want to find something that you can catch a trade unless you really have that kind of dexterity. Over time, you want to find businesses that are, that are uh, disruptors, that are taking market share on a long-term basis. So can Ford Motor beat Adobe on a three-month basis uh -huh. or Royal Caribbean because there's a virus? Sure. However, on a three-year basis, betting on a Royal Caribbean versus a Microsoft, that's a, that's a, a ridiculous thing. All right. Uh, Carter, thanks. We'll see you later on Options Action. Uh, Tim Seymour, that sounds pretty dire. <laughs> Well, once I figured out what nomenclature means, uh, I, I definitely got excited about it. Um, I, I, I think it's very difficult to see tech breaking this outperformance relative to growth. And again, that's on a P.E. basis and that's on a, an absolute basis. Uh, I, I think we'll see growth co value come back into the fold. A lot of these industrial names have some room to go. But uh, giving up on the tech trade, I think people are just waiting for a pullback. All right, coming up, we'll be joined by Sheila Baer, who ran the FDIC during the financial crisis. Where does she see the banking industry going post-pandemic? What does she forecast for dividends? And don't forget to tweet us. We've got yet another round of Total Request Fast Money. Send us your burning trading questions. We'll answer them live. Stay tuned. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Fast Money. Former Fed Chairs Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen testifying on the Hill today, sharing their views on the government's policy response to the pandemic. Their bottom line, more may have to be done. In their Brookings blog post out today, Bernanke and Yellen write, based on our experience in the global financial crisis, we think the Fed may find it needs to go further. It is possible the pandemic will so damage the economy that credit losses mount rapidly. And specifically, they were talking about what the Fed has done in terms of uh, limiting dividends. So what could the Fed do next? So let's get some answers from former FDIC Chair Sheila Baer. She's now the director of the Volcker Alliance. Sheila, great to speak with you as always. Uh, great. Thanks for having me. You have said in the past that you hoped that uh, banks would not pay a dividend. That's, that would be the responsible thing to do. Um, the earnings came out. You say that they're better than expected. But what do you think the banks are underestimating in terms of the damage the pandemic could cause? Well, I think there's just tremendous uncertainty. Uh, better safe than sorry. Conserve the capital now. If it turns out to be better than, uh, than we fear it might be, uh, they can always pay a special dividend. I do think this, uh, the banks that uh, rely more on lending, take deposits, make loans, the traditional lenders are going to be the hardest hit. We're seeing that with the second quarter results. They're being hit hard by uh, compressed net interest margins and also loan losses. Provisioning is very high. So uh, they, I think, should particularly be conservative because really the small businesses, the households, they can't access the corporate debt markets that are wide open thanks to the Fed. They need bank lending. And so conservatism there, I think, is particularly important. For the big Wall Street banks, uh, yes, they did have a good quarter, uh, but that's mainly for government interventions. So let's face it, those profits are coming 
courtesy of the Fed uh, through their underwriting fees, their trading profits. And I think that's that's not going to continue, and most of them acknowledge that's not going to continue. A lot of that, you know, corporations are pulling forward. They're issuing a lot of debt. I believe something like 1.2 trillion of investment grade corporate debt's been issued this year. An amazing amount, uh, but that's only going to last so long. And uh, some of these companies, they may borrow now, but I don't think they're going to make it. And right. uh, those losses will eventually flow through into the banking sector. So I think really everybody, regardless of your business model, needs to be very cautious now. I would be suspending dividends, holding that capital. You can distribute it later mm-hmm. if things turn out better. Karen, you have a question for Sheila. I do. Thanks for being on, Sheila. So my question is, sure. is there a way for the Fed to target more specifically the regional and smaller community banks that haven't been yeah. as benefited by some of the capital markets activity? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And I think they've been trying, but it really underscores their tools just not are equipped. They, they, they're good at infusing money into large financial institutions, supporting financial markets getting help into the smaller institutions, direct support for Main Street lending is something they're just not well-equipped to do. I think we need more action from Congress. I'm hoping we'll have another stimulus package. We need household support. We need more support for small businesses. It really needs to come from the politicians. The Fed's just not well-equipped. As I've I've spoken on this show before, I think ultimately digital currency might provide a way with congressional authorization for the Fed to get support more directly the main street, but now they're really, their tools are just to prop up financial markets. It's very difficult for them to get help more broadly into the economy. All right. Sheila, we're going to have to let you go. It's always great to speak with you. Sure. Thanks for phoning in. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You Sheila Baer, the former FDIC chair. Um, Karen, I know you took note of this, but the CFO of Bank of America said significant credit card losses won't show up until 180 days past the end of forbearance. And we're still in that period. So, I mean, 180 days, that's, that's quite some time. It's sort of a delayed you know, readout of what the consumer is feeling. And, and I don't know if, if credit law, if the loss provisions are enough, Tim, um, for unforeseen and uncalculable uh, losses. Yeah, I, I think the sense is that the banks and, and think about the, the 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 loan provisions were even amped up that much more. I mean, and and to Sheila's urgings, uh, you know, I think J.P. Morgan took a lot of those trading profits and plowed them into higher provisions. I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. conservative. Um, but it does tell you we're very concerned. Look, this morning, you know, I'm reading that Moody's has a, a record 414 companies on their list of uh, financial trouble. If you're a large institution, and here we are seeing the Fed go out and buy the debt of Apple and, and, and other big companies, but those companies have no problems issuing debt. That's not the, where the problem is. And, and you know, think of the retail sector. Think of, think of Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, J.C. Penney. Think of all these companies that filed for bankruptcy. So um, I, I am of the view that I think there are, you know, the credit cycle is worsening, not getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, you know, if the argument is to be conservative on dividend payouts, I think investors should want that, too, for the balance sheet of the companies they right. invest in. All right. Coming up, calling all T-Mobile bulls. Has the stock peaked or is there more room to run? That trade ahead. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. It's already time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. Yeah, we talked about healthcare earlier in the show. UNH, uh, very solid second quarter, somewhat subdued on their outlook, but they're staying the course. Uh, and I think investors should. This is breaking all-time highs, and I want to stay there, UNH. Steve Grasso. So I bought on semiconductor, ticker symbol ON, and I bought it going into option expiration today. It bypassed that strike price of $21. I decided to hold on to it. There's a couple upside price targets that I'm looking for, roughly around $30. Karen. Yeah, so I'm not finding a lot new to buy, and I don't want to sell what I own, but I do want to buy S&P Protection. The VIX is near as low as it's been since the crisis started, 25 and change today, so S&P puts. Guy. Intel Mel, it's $60, feels like it's going higher. All right, that does it for us. See you back here on Monday. Options Action's up next. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.